And this Go. ball in the air, deep right center Go. field. Two-run home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers, he'll watch it go Chuck Nasty. Two-run home run, David Dahl. And Nolan drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. I don't want to lose your love tonight. Welcome in to the DNVR Rockies podcast brought to you by StravaCraft Coffee. Remember to use that promo code DNVR20 because when you do, well, you get 20% off that entire purchase of the CBD infused, deliciously rich and potentially life altering StravaCraft Coffee. I'm your host, Drew Creaseman. I'm the managing editor of DNVR Rockies. With me, as always, is beat writer Patrick Lyons, and we continue. Hall of Fame week this week, and a topic that's very special, near and dear to all of our hearts. We get to celebrate number 17, who played 17 years, all of them, for your Colorado Rockies, dare I say, Mr. Rocky, the Todd father, I think that's all of them, Mr. Todd Helton. He will take you to hell, ten back. Okay. That, I don't think that's a thing. Inventor of the Helton Burger. That's probably not true. Ah. Probably not. I assume there was a chef. <laughs> but still. Um, yeah, Patrick. So we've, we've kind of talked around and a little bit yesterday with Drew Goodman. How great was he, by the way? Uh, Amazing. About all this stuff. But we wanted to do a really deep dive here into the career of Todd Helton into the Hall of Fame case for Todd Helton and even into some of the just specific memories and things you think about when you think about Helton. Uh, so leave us those if you're here in the comments. Remember, we are live on Facebook and Twitter at 4.05 Monday through Friday. And you got to subscribe to YouTube if you don't want to miss like Drew Goodman and stuff. You got to be on there. Uh, so I know people were asking some questions about his most iconic moment. Is it the home run off of Saito, or is it him throwing his arms in the air as the team is going to the World Series? All of this stuff, Patrick, we get to break it down from every single angle. This is going to be fun. It is, and and this is one of the great things of why I love our podcast and why we provide great coverage is because you get two perspectives, and we don't, we don't always agree. That's, that's what's great. Again, another thing about the podcast, but you're getting a perspective of someone that didn't watch the Rockies as their number one, A1 top choice club. And you have someone who grew up here in the state. So you're getting those different perspectives. And so if you go, yeah, well, of course, the guys on the Rockies pod are you know, going to support and back Todd Helton and think he's going to get in the Hall of Fame. That's all they know, right? They're, they're homers, right? They should be at least. But it's not exactly the case, right? You got you to remember the BBWAA who needs to sit down and look and be able to back up his points because we know that's that, that's one of the new uh, fun crazes on Twitter is saying, "Hey, this guy voted for X, Y, and Z. This guy voted for nobody. You need to explain yourself in article form at the least." 
And you also got somebody that, again, comes from the East Coast and saw, I've seen a lot of baseball. We both have. So you're getting a lot of fresh perspectives. And so I think this is going to be the spot in the podcast where we're going to cover it all and encompass and and really decide and, and prove the case for why Todd Helton deserves to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Yeah, I, I it, exactly. All of that stuff, 100% true. And uh, it's like, so So let's start with a couple of the facts. That's that's one of the best places to start, right? As, I mean, as you said that, I was like, I, I, I get legitimately anxious about the day whenever it will be that I'm going to fill out a real Hall of Fame ballot. And that's just a ton of responsibility and a ton of pressure. It's very legitimate. And then you see somebody turn in a ballot with only a check mark next to Jeff Kent or nobody's, they turn in the ballot with nobody's name checked. And I go, okay, I can do better than that. The bar, I feel like, you know, whatever you want to say about my baseball opinions, can we at least agree? Not voting is better in, in many ways. Cause if you don't Just vote, don't you're not the ballot, right? right? When you turn the ballot in. That means it's a percentage point or so that goes down. What but you've if you done do no is ballot, voted against everybody. Yes, you vote 100% right. If you don't vote, that means the, the numbers oh. don't move in any which way or, way or right. form. But when you yeah. vote specifically for nothing, you're voting against and guys' numbers. And as we've talked about and touched on, I've got some figures, there are a lot of Hall of Famers on this ballot. And they might not all get in through the Writers right. Association. And they might not all get in in their lifetime, but history will show, as we'll talk about today, that there's a lot of Hall of Famers on this ballot. Right. One uh, of which back, is Todd Helton. <laughs> yeah, one of which is Todd Helton. Let's get to, let's start with the very basic stat, Patrick. Let's break these down kind of one by one. Todd Helton's career slash line: three sixteen batting average, four fourteen on base percentage, five thirty nine slugging. Now you and I and 99% of the people listening to this know why that's not just the end of the conversation, but let's at least all admit out loud that if Todd Helton had played for 29 other franchises in baseball, a 300 plus batting average, 400 plus slash line and 500 plus slugging percentage would be almost the end of the conversation. Yeah. Over 17 years. Yeah. And, and, and that's, I think, is the biggest indicator is that he did it for such a, a long period of time. And it, it's almost a separate argument, too, to say, again, we've seen plenty of guys come to Coors Field and come to altitude and what that will do to their body and how they break down. And you look at his relative consistency again after age 33, you know, the, the amount of games he was able to play went down, but he was still able to have seven more seasons, one of which uh, he played 151 games at age 35. Uh, four out of the final six of his career were over 118 games. So just, just being healthy and, and contributing on the field again is, is a lot more than some other guys can do late in their career because again, players careers, they look a lot of different ways. Some guys, some peak early on and then they fade away. Some guys are able to sustain it for the majority of their career. But when you, when you compile all of those things together, you're right. If, if he just had, was with another organization, maybe the numbers would have been slightly smaller. But we also have metrics for that to that also subtract for the fact that, oh, Coors Field and, oh, there was no humidor in compared to other ballparks. Okay, great. We have metrics to look at that take that into account. Let's just look at those metrics. And if we do, again, slam dunk. Right. So some of those metrics, his OPS plus for his career, and 
we've talked about this a little bit, how it, it can short sell Rockies to to an extent. 133, though, is still very, very good. That is, that is uh, you know, some of the, these other guys who are on the Hall of Fame ballot who I think are either Hall of Famers or borderline are guys like Scott Rowland and Jeff Kent who have like 122 career OPS plus numbers, about 10, 11 points lower than what Todd Helton has. Before you even start accounting for the fact that these stats, it's, we've talked about this before on the podcast, and it's been maybe a couple of years now since we've really broken down why it's extra harsh for the Rockies on the road because Coors Field is still counted against you when you're hitting on the road in these statistics. And that just over the course of a career, you know, over the course of a season that can maybe have you off by a couple of points. And so I understand why the statisticians go, we're pretty close. We're in the ballpark, if you will. Let's use that it. it's the best we've got. But if you're shorting Todd Helton about three points a year, in OPS plus that really adds up over the course of 17 years or just say maybe at least in his prime and that's quite a bit to add on there so both the 133 OPS plus and uh, where's his baseball reference war is at 61.8 so again those numbers are in line with plenty of other hall of famers not the best of the best hall of famers but there are plenty of guys in the hall who have lower war, lower OPS plus numbers that account for all of the Coors Field stuff. Maybe overly so. Yeah, I, I, you know some guys played in different eras, so we know their you know wins above replacement, and it might be slightly skewed. Or actually, I, rather, I should say not the uh, their war, but maybe their their OPS if, if more live ball era. Uh, that Todd Helton played in and, and all those guys are hall of famers. And I imagine at some point we'll get to uh, a stat that we've talked about a lot when it comes to hall of famers jaws. And, and so I don't want to get, get, get ahead of things too much there, but we'll, when we, when we use a metric like that, that takes into consideration the different eras and Todd Helton at his prime, you know, over the course of seven years and in comparing that with other ball players, there's a way to look and say, okay, well, yes, maybe he's not, on the Lou Gehrig and Albert Pujols scale, but that's the top 1%. There's still right. another tier of Hall of Famer that deserves to get in, and that usually does get in on the writer's ballot. And that's what we're talking about, because I think, you know, we, uh, you know, this afternoon, for anyone who's a member of the Rocky Mountain chapter of Sabre, we all got together, we, we had our little luncheon. It was, it was fantastic getting to see everybody with, uh, with some heavy hitters and some people that have been inside the game for a long time. I mean inside, like, you know, they, they pitched in the Milwaukee Braves organization in the 1950s and 60s right. and former general managers. And, you know, I think we all agreed, hey, these guys are all Hall of Famers, but at what point do they finally get in? We had that conversation last year with Larry Walker. I said, yeah, he'll eventually get in, but it certainly does mean a lot more that now Larry Walker can get in and enjoy it with his family. He's still alive. And it, it means a lot more to get voted in by the Baseball Writers Association of America. And there's a lot, lot pointing in that direction that that will happen. But for anyone that is on the fence and that is a voter, that is listening to this, or if you know someone who's a voter, again, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to slam dunk it. Again, not to overuse a baseball phrase, but we are going to get a <laughs> slam dunk right. three-point Totally. Toe kick through the uprights. I think that that's all sounds basketball, right. right? That's right. I don't know. 
Uh, no, I, it could be a no doubter. No, yeah, I, I think that's right, and I, I've been very, very encouraged by it. And I do think that a lot of it has to do with a long unpacking of a, a misunderstanding about baseball out here, about Coors Field, and and so it, it hasn't just been about people learning more about it, but also unpacking a lot of misconceptions that we talk about all the time on this show. But it's been very, very encouraging to see. A national, even the the podcast we did a couple of months ago, where you were just uh, where you were running Chris Russo phrases at me. The fact that it has permeated the culture enough that even he's going, no, enough people have told me that you know it's hard to hit on the road out there. It's really hard when you're a Rocky to hit on the road. And I'm going, okay, okay, where it has permeated the conversation, and and it's reflected here in the Todd Helton vote. Uh, I'm very very happy about it. One of the things that I think has helped with that though. Patrick, and you alluded to it there. So if you've got them, if you can run us through the jaws, because I, I really do think that that's one of the things that helps encapsulate what Drew Goodman was talking about yesterday, which is, well, what even is a Hall of Famer? What do we mean when we say that? What does it feel like? And if there is a number that can help express that feeling of a guy who was one of the best at his best among the best, I think it's this stat from Jay Jaffe. So Jaws was created, again, to just try to balance all these different eras because we know home runs, a lot more easy to get in the 90s, incredibly hard to get in the 70s and 80s. And in fact, there's probably underrepresentation from those eras uh, from, from some hitters because there wasn't quite as much offense. It was more about just putting the ball in play and speed. And the one thing that carries over from you know, a lot of generations, depending on how far you go back, are things like MVP. And, you know, where you're at in the vote and all-star appearances. Because, again, that is somewhat of an indicator of where you're at amongst your generation. Because, really, that's what it is. It's Todd Helton doesn't need to be compared to Jimmy Fox or, uh, right, right. or, or Hank Greenberg. Like, those players, didn't, they didn't play in the same time. Right. So that wouldn't be fair. But if we look at some of these other things, like uh, the best seven seasons, so War 7 – is essentially what's look at when you were at your prime. How good were you? And if you if you play if you come up with at eighteen years old and you're just an average ball player and you play until you're forty six years old, you might actually get three thousand hits and not be a you know that great of a ball right. player. And or even accumulate you, WAR, which is interesting. That's one of the yeah. reasons why I like Jaws and and WAR seven and stuff like this too. Because there are some guys on the ballot right now that I'm looking at and going. You sure accumulated a lot of war by being pretty good for a very long time, and and we've talked. There's a there's a fine line between that guy and the guy who was excellent, amazing, elite for five or six years, and then hung on for Tate knows exactly what I'm talking about, uh, <laughs> and, and and then hangs on for ten years of being average, right? And it's, that's a uh, compiler. That's a compiler. A compiler. That's right. A You're compiler. compiling stats, which is great, and it's it's really hard to do that nowadays. It seems like getting three thousand hits, yeah. they're they're few and far between now. Three hundred wins, wins is out ever again. We're just never, almost never, going to see that. It's it's, it's incredibly, incredibly rare. It's yeah. gonna be. Yeah. It's gonna take like 25, 30 years for the game to kind of change and regenerate, and then it's gonna go back to pitchers being in line for the win more and having you know longer outings. But but as you said. If you are a compiler, 
then Jaws doesn't look upon you very favorably. Jaws doesn't say, oh, you get bonus points for hitting 300 and or, or 3,000 hits and, and so on. So it looks at MVP. And so when you take all of these things together, what it does is you find out very quickly, oh, yeah, the guys that we expect to be at the top of, of those rankings are all there. And Todd Helton ranks 15th among all first basemen forever. It's better than just ahead of Eddie Murray, who we think of great switch hitter from the Baltimore Orioles. Hank Greenberg, George Sisler, Bill Terry, Harmon Killebrew, Joe Torrey, who you know was, uh, was a borderline Hall of Famer guy, kind of ended up eventually getting in for what he did as a manager. Tony Perez from the Big Red Machine, Orlando Cepeda, um, and, and you know some other guys down the list that you know Jaws might not uh, favor terribly well because they're more historical ball players. Tinkers to Evers to Chance, Frank Chance being being that guy uh, at first base where he's just an iconic name in the because game. Of the poem. Yeah, because of because of baseball <laughs> sad lexicon. The that's the right. name of the poem, and that's it. Right. All of a sudden, boom. So he's Hall 15. Joey Votto, <laughs> your boy Joey Votto is 14. And ah, so this player. this is a great metric to use to say, okay, wow, there's a lot of noise going on in Coors Field. Yeah, but Coors Field. Yeah, but Coors Field. We have metrics that will remove that from that. When people are voting for MVP, they don't really care about uh, Coors Field. I mean, maybe a little bit. That could be one of the reasons why, you know, Helton might have been jobbed. Just a little bit. I was going to say, well, we'll talk about that. I do think it comes right. up. But, well, I think what happens is it, it can often be a differentiating factor. People feel like, well, all other things equal. I'm going to go with the guy that doesn't have the big Coors Field question mark hanging over mm -hmm. him. And I get why someone who hasn't studied it closely would feel more comfortable a couple of years ago voting for Giancarlo Stanton over Nolan Arenado. Though, I think that was absolutely the wrong decision and i think that the stats back that up and again we have we have the metrics that account for all of those things but i totally understand why people you know look at nolan arenado getting 120 rbi every single year and 40 home runs every single year and just go well you know guys at coors field do that and then when you dive into it a little bit more and you go not really and not every year they don't and um you know, I, I do think it's a bit suspect that among Matt Holliday, Todd Helton, Nolan Arenado, Charlie Blackman, Trevor Story, none of those guys have an MVP on their mantle. Like, it's, if it was just one or two of them, I'd go, oh, okay, well, maybe. But um, I think, unfortunately, it just enters people's minds, even if subconsciously. Like I said, I, there's no grand conspiracy. I think it's just a, you know, uh, I don't know how much I can trust these baseline numbers for Matt Holiday or Todd Helton. And, and now actually, this, this leads us perfectly into the conversation. We have to toast our Breck brews of the day. And look, I'm still on my Strava Craft coffee, so sorry about that. Look, I'm, I'm doing every other day with the Breck brews right now. I'm trying to, trying to balance that out. But I got my Strava, but toast your Breck brew at home, wherever you are, to, of course, Todd Helton's 2000 season. Because one of the things that people say against him in the Hall of Fame debate is he was never an MVP. We should have been. And I think, honestly, if this vote took place today with these numbers, he would have been. So as much as I battle with a lot of the metrics community over a lot of these things, 
that contribution to the conversation, I do think has positively pushed us in that direction because we can, let me, let me give you, I want to get you in there, Patrick, but let me go ahead and give you the numbers really quick. In 160 games played, he put up an 8.9 BWAR, batted 372. I didn't, I didn't stutter. That wasn't a typo or mistake. He batted 372 on base 463, got on base in nearly half of his at-bats that year and slugged 698. 42 home runs that was tied with Jim Edmonds for the most among non-PED users that year. He had 100 had 147 RBI, 216 hits. Both of those were more than 20 more than the person who came in second place in RBI and hits. He had 59 doubles. He walked 103 times and only struck out 61. Not too shabby, you know. Came in fifth in the MVP, and and you know you might might be burying the lead because you know the one thing that is is hard to do sometimes I think uh, being out here in Colorado is to give context to stuff. It's it's one thing to just focus on the Rockies and maybe not realize what else is happening in the game and go, oh, you know what, other franchises might be able to say those same things, and you know you can vacillate back and forth on that as much as you want. But the bottom line is this in 2000, just using wins above replacement, Todd Helton was number one. So, so say what you will about, Oh yeah, but, but you know, this guy was more valuable and this guy, no, he had the most wins above replacement. And typically this is how we go about deciding a lot of these little tiebreakers of man, all these guys were really good. How can we kind of, you know, level it out just a little bit? Todd Helton, 8.9. Andrew Jones, 8.2. He was much further down in the voting. And Randy Johnson got 1% at, at 8.1 wins above replacement. So dude was 19 and 7 with a 2.64 ERA. No one was caring about him because, well, he's a pitcher. So you go in and you look at that and the eventual MVP, Jeff Kent, Todd Helton was 1.7 wins above replacement better than right. Todd Helton, who also had Barry Bonds on his team. Keep right. in mind, who did Todd Helton have with him in that year? You know, besides, you know, Larry Walker, a little bit banged up. But I but I think, well, you know, so it was I'm, collarbone year. Yeah, that was. Um, but I think, you know, while you could say that that MVP in 2000 changes the conversation a lot, and I think it does, it didn't necessarily do that for Larry Walker, which is a shame. It should have. Uh, I will yeah. say that. And we can get back to that, but but I will say with Jaws, the nice thing is it does factor in top five and top ten MVP finishes. So just because you haven't won it, and just because maybe again the BBWAA, who also decides MVP, you know didn't you know didn't feel your quote unquote inflated numbers were good enough, as long as you were still in the top five or top ten, you're getting points for that. You get a few points, uh, yeah. With Jaws, so he still got that with that top five finish. But I think if you have three MVP, in the top ten. Just so yeah. If, so if, if you have that MVP, if that now top five is an MVP, and like you said, you know, voters are, they kind of change their views a little bit. One of those top 10 votes becomes a top five vote. So you, you shift them just ever so slightly. Now you're talking about Todd Helton probably being right there at around 12th, uh, maybe just ahead of Rafael Palmero, and overall ahead of the average 
of the 21 Hall of Famers at that position, which is another thing you could see at Baseball Reference, where the average Hall of Famer is as a first baseman. Helton is just beneath that line for an average Hall of Famer, but nevertheless is 15th. And slight slight change in, you know, the the not the mental capacity, but just the the mental wherewithal of what's going on at Coors Field, that changes this argument. And I think we see Todd Helton, if not getting in on the first bout, he gets in on the second. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. I think there would have been a, a much earlier reconciliation of it. Because it's so fun and because we've we've talked about the the overhead headline of that 2000 year before I do want to dive into it just a little bit deeper. I wrote an article a little while ago about uh, some of these performances that were overlooked because they took place at Coors Field. And I just want us to run through a couple of these. Now he began the year first month of the year, he hit 337, 440, 663. So that's pretty too really good, right? That's that's really, really good, but not like eye-popping, holy crap, I can't believe you're doing that yet. This is what what blows my mind, is this next grouping of games that in May of 2000, Todd Heldon hit 512, on-based 588, and slugged 1,000 for an OPS of 1588. In 23 games, he hit 11 home runs. He drove in 26 runs in 23 games. Uh, the month that month of May, you know, we've seen Charlie Blackman get really, really hot for a month and hit like 480 or 490 and maybe sprinkle five or six home runs in there. The only thing I can think of that compares to this is the time Troy Tulowitzki hit 15 home runs in 15 games in the month of August, I want to say in 2010. But 512 with 11 home runs over 23 games, slugging a thousand for a month. Un unreal, unreal. Yeah, you know, it is, you know, part of being a Hall of Famer is having these kind of seasons, having a Hall of Fame season. You mentioned Chris Russo. That's something that he used to do a lot on his show. I imagine he still might. Where you say, all right, make the case for Todd Helton. And you'd call in and you'd run off these seasons and you'd go, yep, Hall of Fame season. Yep, Hall of Like that's undoubtedly a Hall of Fame season. And even if you say, yeah, Drew, how many of those games are at Coors Field? First off, I'm going to say, just shut up. Just, just stop. Just <laughs> at that please point. stop. Just stop. <laughs> Fine. Fine. You want to hear how good of a, of a, of a season Todd Helton had take out his numbers at Coors Field. Forget the fact he hit 391 at Coors uh, in in the year 2000. Oh, 391. Well, there you go. No, there. You, I, I have something for you. Here you go. Here his you road go. numbers. His road numbers that season was 353, 441, 633. So what does that mean, right? I'm just That's, spitting numbers out at you. Those are it, MVP numbers by themselves. Those are. Because if you just look at those road numbers, that would have placed him second in the batting title behind Moises Alou. He still would have been first in on-base percentage with that 484 on the road, and he still would have been sixth in slugging percentage. That's just him on the road. And anybody else that wants to talk about Bonds' road numbers and Kent's road numbers, go ahead and subtract Coors Field, which is a road game for the San Francisco Giants, and then get back to me and tell me, how good right. those guys were on the road. Right. Man. Mm. Love it when you bring the fire like that. 
Then the thing, of course, that everybody really remembers that season for, which was flirting with 400, right? That he was actually chasing Ted Williams, who, you know, in 1941, the last time somebody hit over 400, bullpens didn't really exist. <laughs> like, a lot had changed, right? So the idea, and, and it's frustrating because you, I, I know anyway, I know in my heart of hearts that had Elton completed it and hit over 400, that all the talk would have been about Coors Field. And we would have forgotten all of the very difficult things that Todd Elton had to deal with. Uh, not even things like hitting on the road and what the altitude does to your body and all that. You put all of that aside. I'm talking about the existence of bullpens, having 25-year-old kids hucking 99 miles an hour coming out in the 6th, 7th, and 8th inning every night. You know, the, the, the way the game has evolved intentionally walking dudes uh you know the game is just played differently and on june 10th todd helton was still batting over 400. yeah it's it's almost a virtual impossibility you know i i think that becomes the story of the game for any starting pitcher and it just becomes about you know pitching around a guy and yeah and, and Helton obviously had power, but he was more of a doubles guy than a home run. So it wasn't the same situation as Barry Bonds. But I think even still, you're going, uh, you know what, let's just let's not give him that many opportunities. And that can be frustrating. I mean, that, that's something that Joey Votto has dealt with his whole career. And I think Todd Helton has had to deal with it for most of his career. You know, when Larry Walker was healthy, okay, those two guys can pair nicely together. But usually Helton was behind Larry Walker. So who was protecting Todd Helton? You know, Helton's got to maybe expand the zone just a little bit to drive in runs. And you see that reflected in his career RBI total. Uh, right. You see that reflected in his on-base percentage. Then a while, you know, you had Tulo uh, and you had Matt Holliday, you know, helping him out in the lineup. But, you know, for the most part, he didn't have that other superstar with him, uh, at Certainly least when he was at his best. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Cargo, not okay, year. again, you bring Cargo in, but then that's by the time when he's at the tail end of his career. In fact, this team put up a team OPS plus of 87. That's one of the worst marks in franchise history. Like, that's really bad. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, it's, it's worse than the, the teams of these last couple of years where people go, man, they got nothing after. Charlie Nolan and Trevor and, and and somewhere Todd Hilton's going, give me a, a, a Charlie and a Trevor. Come on, man. <laughs> Could have gone for some of that, but yeah, it was, uh, he, he entered the last month of the season batting 395. So that may be as close as we ever see to, to someone doing that ever. Cause like you said, and then that whole final month, it was just, you know, we're not going to serve stuff up to this guy. And he wasn't going to take himself out of games. There was a whole storyline about that, too, about, you know, them offering to sit him against some of the tougher pitchers and him going. To, the Rockies won 83 games that year. You know, if you go their way more at the end of the season, maybe they make a postseason run. He's still out there trying to win, you know. So, that was their only winning season, too, I think, between, like, 96 and, and 2004. That sounds right, yeah. And so, I mean, yeah, he – sure, not – not um Seven, not maybe. not that valuable right he, he's not yeah. that valuable because they right. barely were a 500 team but we've seen that happen before at mvp but, voting where andre dawson i think you know won an mvp and i want to say 
I don't remember the year, 1987. It was, it was before their 88 year, but won an MVP with, you know, virtually a last place team. And recently I mentioned Steve Carlton with 27 wins on a 59 win, you know, Phillies team. So right. again, it, it, it's hard to balance sort of that. I think, back a little. yeah, I think <laughs> voters can, can kind of lose sight of what they're voting for. Are they voting for value or are they voting for, you know, just the overall season and, and talent and that, Things can get lost. Those two things alone in and of themselves can be challenging. Throw them together. And then, oh, yeah, throw in the fact that you're dealing with Coors Field. And you can see why that a lot of Rockies players, you know, haven't finished terribly high in MVP voting. And say what you will about their, their seasons and the win-loss records. But there should have been more in the top five. should be more in the top ten. There should be more that even get a vote. And so I think there is – you know, I, I would really be curious to go back and, and look at that to, to see because the and bias is minute, but it adds up over time. It's, it's it just funny, yeah. The, the, the competitive thing goes totally out the window when Nolan Arenado's right. team goes to the wild card game against the Diamondbacks and Giancarlo Stanton's team wins 59 games. But that's right. And then, then all of a sudden it doesn't matter quite so much. And so, then yeah, we see I the mean, impact. And we see the impact yeah. because, as we said, Helton, if that fifth place finish, even if it becomes a second place finish, I think changes the narrative a bit. Totally. And one of those top 10 finishes moves into the fifth place you know, and another top five. Again, that's yeah. shifting his value as far as the Jaws metric goes. And, and if he's got his healthy walker, mm-hmm. which, you know, Jeff Kent had his healthy Barry Bonds, then they probably yeah. do win those extra games. And so it's just funny that those guys came in one, two, or Helton, who just drug his otherwise, quite frankly, pathetic offense, that that they were that bad despite him putting up an OPS plus of 163 and playing all but two games and batting in the middle of the order, just like, that's terrible. That's a, that is, that is a bad offense. I wonder what the team OPS plus would be if, if you took him out. Probably I mean, the worst in franchise history. If you took him off that two, I, I, to calculate it's complicated and difficult, but it's like, and that's he had 580 so... at bats too, so like that's a <laughs> right. that's the other thing. Like there right. there have been guys who've had seasons like that, and you're like, oh yeah, but it was only in part time. So you take yeah. that out, and it, it's much smaller of a fraction. But 580, I mean, whew. goodness, yeah. All right, well, we want to talk about a few other elements of Todd Helton's career. Still got to talk about the defense. That's a whole big thing that I want to get into, Patrick. But uh, I also got to talk about something else that's near and dear to my heart, both figuratively. And literally, because I have been eating a lot of Hassel Cattle beef. I will tell you what, Hassel Cattle Company has got you hooked up with the best. And, and straight up, look, I know it sounds like I'm, I'm giving you a company line or whatever. This Nobody gave me this line. This is a legitimately true thing. I'm never buying beef from the grocery store ever again. Like, no reason to do it. It's just... It's just as expensive, especially if you're not, you know, if you're taking advantage of the deals that Hassel Cattle Company is always bringing you, you're getting it for cheaper. It's better beef. It tastes better. It's better for you because it's better raised. It doesn't have antibiotics and hormones and all that garbage in it. It's better for the environment. And you're not just throwing your money towards some faceless giant mega corporation. It's people who really care about what they do, bringing you Wagyu beef. And, and I'll tell you what, once you try it, forget about all the other stuff. If you, you go, okay, I don't care about any of that stuff, Drew. I, I just want good beef, man. I just want to sit down and have a nice tasting dinner. Well, you're in luck. Just try it. Try it once. Order one thing. Tell them Drew sent you. 
order one thing, if whatever you like. You like some steaks, you like some bacon, you like a little ground chuck. That's what we've been going through. The bacon is unbeatable, I'll tell you mm-hmm. what. Uh, but whatever it is, use promo code DNVR10 so you get your 10% off. If you're really going in and you're like, all right, fine, you've sold me, you can spend over 200 bucks and get free shipping. But if you're less worried about that, you just want to try it and go, I don't know, man, don't care about any other stuff. I just like a good steak. Order one, try it. I'll, I'll bet you don't go back. It's it's that good. Head to Hassle Cattle Company. That's H-A-S-S-E-L-L, cattlecompany.com. I don't think there's a box that says Drew sent me, but if you use the promo code DNVR10, actually, that lets them know more or less that we sent you. If you eat beef, <laughs> and I'm going to guess a, a pretty large percentage of our audience does, just give it a try. You will, you'll be amazed. I have been. And Drew, if you continue to consume as much beef as you've been, and it's gonna, it may have to take a while, you could be a beefy boy. I'm, I'm working on trying. I could become a beefier boy. That's right. At least That's beefier, right. yeah. Or you could just be boy. bacon boy. You could be bacon boy today, <laughs> or you could just be beef boy later down the line. If you pack on a couple of LBs, I think that's a solid. I think that's a solid transition. Goals. It's important to have goals in life. And now I've got potentially achievable one <laughs> to become well, like those rugby guys. Now there's some beefy boys. Those guys are eating their wagyu. I'll tell you what. You are a bacon boy. You know what? Yeah, I mean, I, you bait long, slender piece of mm-hmm. bacon. Yeah. You're the bacon boy. I, I, I enjoy it. No, I won't say it again. You don't like that. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I don't hate it. Uh, I don't hate it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's not the right place for that. Uh, a couple of other things I did want to talk about with Todd Helton. I, I mentioned his defense a second ago, but a, a few other things that uh, just kind of while we're sticking with the bat and the offense to, to just put into perspective that actually, according to WRC plus uh, the year 2000, not Todd Helton's best season. He had better marks in the year 2003 and 2004. And the reason I point that out is because those are post-humidor years. Mm -hmm. And there has long been a narrative that Todd Helton, once the humidor was put in place, well, that revealed who the real Todd Helton was and he couldn't be a great hitter anymore. Now, he didn't hit for you know, 49, 40, almost 50 home runs ever again. After that, the home run totals dropped. He also, as all of you know, started to deal with some back issues and was getting a little bit older in general as well. I've talked to people who've talked to Todd Helton about this. Aha, inside information, I, I think. Um, you know, and him saying, like, yeah, basically once that humidor got put in, the opposite field home run uh, got if not taken out of his arsenal was a thing that he, you know, he really started going for those doubles. And that's why he he ended up among the all time leaders in doubles because the the ball just wasn't flying out that way as much anymore, but it doesn't mean that he wasn't still doing his thing and hitting the ball hard to all parts of the field. You know, maybe if he had tried to pull the ball more often, he could have kept up the near 40 home run pace, but yeah, for several years, I mean, his batting averages, from 2002, when they put in the humidor forward, go 329, 358, 347, 320, 302, 320 into 2007. So this idea that they put in the humidor and then Todd Helton just couldn't hit anymore is just kind of patently absurd. And, and he still made the all-star team like those first three years from, from 02 yeah. to 04. 
Um, you know, seventh in MVP voting in 2003. That's one where he could have possibly slipped in into fifth. Atlanta had a, a bunch of guys that year that played really well. That and again, looking back on it, you go Javi Lopez. I think it was Marcus Giles and and Gary Sheffield all had insane wins above replacement. You go, uh, what was going on there in Atlanta? Um, you know, for having having three of the top five guys, but it was all about Bonds and Pujols that year. But again, you know, if if people start to realize, well, wait a minute, let's give him credit for the fact that there is a humidor there, and that his numbers have been tamped down a little bit. Well, damn, he he's still going at it really hard. And again, that it changes the narrative based on those yearly BBWAA votes. There's another thing that happened right around that time as well, by the way, which is that the league started widely testing for performance-enhancing drugs. And so that's part of the reason why in 2000, when Todd Helton had, you know, 42 home runs and, you know, those lofty numbers we gave you a minute ago, uh, he actually didn't have quite as good of a WRC plus as he did in 2003 when he only hit 33 home runs but that was much closer to the league standard by that point because a lot of guys showed up to spring training that year much much skinnier than they left the previous (laughs) season for those of us that are old enough to remember that thing so yeah i I always thought that was really interesting and some of these other years in like in 03 and 04 where he walked and he did this for his career he walked more than he struck out but in 2004, in 154 games played, Todd Helton walked in 18.6% of his at-bats and struck out in 10.5% of them. That, that's, a, that's a walk-to-strikeout ratio that's just obscene. That, that beats his 2,000 mark of uh, whatever we gave it to you earlier. <laughs> yeah, he, he just has amazing you know, strike zone awareness. And, you know... I, I think I think one other way to, to look at this too in, in the context of all of it is that there, you know, we, we saw what Larry Walker was able to do, and, and he was more of a rate stat guy than uh, someone who was able to, you know, hit uh, the amount of homers that, that Helton did. Um, you know, they're relatively the same, but 2,500 hits that Helton was able to surpass. Right. Is that Helton is the only guy to have been able to do that? over the course of his career. It's, it's guys have been able to do it here and there, but haven't been able to do it consistently. That, that has to have value. Like again, it's, it's just not fair when you look at some of the names that Todd Helton, you know, the groups that he can be thrown into when you look at his batting average, because from, from 99 to 03, um, he's only one of four players to have five or more consecutive seasons of adding 320 or better, 30 or more home runs or better, 100 RBI or better, and 100 runs scored. The other three all-time legends, Lou Gehrig, Babe Ruth, and another first baseman, Jimmy Fox. Yeah. That's it. So say what you will about guys taking steroids. Say what you will about guys coming into Coors Field for a weekend series and loading up their stats. No one has done those things that Helton has done, at least in this era. And again, when you compare him to other guys from this, this period, if you look at career OPS plus, as, as, as you did before, 133, he's fourth right now among active players, even higher than Sammy Sosa, who we know not only 
dabbled in something. Actually, I don't know that we know to what extent Sammy Sosa dabbled in things. We do know that he did use a cork bat, <laughs> or at least that, accidentally brought it onto the field because that was his home run bat that he would use in batting practice, you know, to make things a little bit more enjoyable. But Helton was ahead of them and only behind Bonds, Ramirez, and Sheffield. And again, Helton, no PED association with any of those guys. Exactly right. There are a couple other of individual seasons I want to point out that, uh, again, I think really drive this point home about who he really was at the end of his career. And actually, I think who he just really was as a hitter. A lot of times, you know, I think we lose sight in the talk of even traditional statistics. It's not just about advanced statistics. Anytime we use a stat, what are we trying to do? We're trying to communicate an observable fact. We're trying to get at a truth. What is that truth? How good is this guy? And that's a very ambiguous thing to, to try to figure out. But when we start doing things like accounting for Coors Field, then we're saying, okay, well, X amount of his production, well, that's because of where he played, or Y amount of his production is because of who he played against. And we have to account for all those things. We do, but it's it's very ambiguous and nebulous. And I think one of the things that really help us to understand who Todd Helton is and was is to look at who he was at age 35 in 2009 when he hit 325 on base, 416, slugged 489 with an OPS plus of 128. Didn't make the All-Star game that year, by the way. Uh, played in 151 games at age 35 and ask yourself, would that not be an extraordinary output from a 35-year-old Charlie Blackman at this point? Would you not be over the moon happy to get that out of a 35-year-old player? Anybody, any team out of a guy at age 35. And again, and the, and the OPS plus of 128, that's, like, that's above Nolan Arenado's career mark. Right. I, I, I don't have the information on hand, but I, I looked it up uh, over the summer when, when Charlie was, again, you know, hitting the cover off the ball and, and bang 500 um, just to see, you know, if other guys, because, again, we know part of the story is the beating your body takes playing at altitude. And so, hey, how many guys have actually been able to have, you know, deep careers or, or what's the best season We've been able to see guys put up. I think actually Melvin Mora might have been on that list somewhere as, as having a really solid 35 <laughs> and older right. season yeah. uh, with the Rockies. But you're absolutely right. You look at that and you go, oh, my gosh, like at 35, that's – yeah, it, it's it's almost unheard of, again, for an older guy at altitude. Now, you know, players don't really go that deep into their career. We talk about the Rockies being attached to Mitch Moreland. He's going to be 35. And you go – Hey, you're going to be a platoon guy because you're no spring chicken anymore. Your your best days are behind you. And Helton, again, when he came up, he played against guys who in their late 30s, guys were starting to come into their own. And I'm looking at you, Steve Finley. But guys would guys would almost get into a, a second prime, and that wasn't the case for Helton, and yet he gets graded against a lot of those guys. And so here, doing it the right way, that's that's a fantastic season that would be amazing if Charlie Blackman was able to, to do something like that. Also lead his team into the playoffs, which Helton did in that right. 09 season, and get some some MVP votes for it, finish 13 in balloting. Right. Uh, so who cares about the All-Star game? And then flash forward all of that to two years later, 
at the age of 37. And we all know, you know, he did have it. He had a down year in 2010. A lot of guys on that team, especially on the offense, unfortunately did. Back issues, 36, stuff does happen. Still put up an 87 OPS plus. He wasn't, was by no means terrible. But yeah, it, at age 37, Patrick, 124 games played, 302 batting average, 385 on base, 466 slugging, and a 117 OPS plus. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm gonna run. I'm gonna run a theory by you here. Maybe the guy just knew how to hit. I mean, it really, it really can just be as simple as that, for yeah. sure. You know, drop him into any team, any, any organization, he would have been able to do it. And you know, and I think one of the other major issues with with Helton's candidacy that we haven't mentioned is he played first base. He played a position where. That's the that's the last spot on the field where you go. All right, look, you're no longer a, a third baseman anymore, and yeah, we can't put you in the outfield because you're going to completely compromise our defense. So you're going to play first base or be a DH. And so Todd Helton is, you know, we, we talked about the Jaws numbers, and you go, oh well, yeah, you got these big lumbering guys that all they're paid to do is hit and just try not to boot too many balls over at first base. Not only was Helton, you know, competent or better than competent. Uh, for the majority of his career at first base, very good for for his prime. Again, winning winning a couple gold gloves there, but you know he's he's paired against again steroid era first baseman who did nothing but mash. We've Fred McGriff's been our guy this whole week. Fred McGriff hasn't really sniffed the Hall of Fame, and yet you look at his numbers and you go, wait, what? How yeah. how is this guy not in? And yeah. it's the same story with Todd Helton is that he's got not only the disadvantage of being in Coors Field, but disadvantage of playing during the steroid era. Now, he hasn't been associated with that in any way, and he has the unfortunate uh, luck, as it were, to be a first baseman during the time when all of this stuff has happened. And and that's kind of what I was talking about at the end of our show with Drew Goodman about how and, – and another reason why I am so encouraged by the fact that it looks like he's going to get in because it, it lessens my pain – of another area of baseball, if that makes any sense at all, because I really was concerned Todd Helton wasn't going to get in. And, and some of these other guys, maybe like a Scott Rowland, wasn't going to get in. And we got to do something about Fred McGriff and Carlos Delgado. That's unfortunately before us and, and now after us. Um, but I did that backwards, but still. Uh, was this concern that players like Barry Bonds and you know, whoever else, whether it's Roger Clemens on the pitching side, it's not just what they did for themselves. It's what they did to the state of the game and making it seem like for basically my whole childhood that to be a great hitter, you got to hit 50 home runs, which is just not reasonable. Guys hitting 70 home runs is not reasonable. And you know, so there, there was this kind of weird era where players like McGriff and Delgado and Todd Helton, a lot of guys who did it the right way. I was worried Frank Thomas wasn't going to get into the Hall of Fame. And he's one of the guys that came out at the time and said, yo, this we can't be doing this. Somebody in the Sabre, I wish I remembered who said it today. Was it maybe Greg? I, I love Greg Petty. Uh, was some, somebody made the point about, you know, people like to say everybody was doing it. When the Mitchell report came out, it was like oh, maybe 10%. And it's not the guys five who named to seven percent. That was it. Yeah, of people seven. That, that they projected were probably 
doing it. And so it's like, you know, I don't want those other guys who were great ball players who did do it the right way to be not seen as superstars because they weren't as good as guys who were cheating. Like, that's the part I don't like about it. So I'll feel much better about Bonds and Clemens eventually getting in on Veterans Committee if we put some of these other people in as well and recognize, like you just said, like, yeah, actually hitting 35 home runs a year while walking more than striking out, batting over 300 on basing over 400 and slugging over 500 every year with monumental doubles numbers actually you know, yeah, does that make you the Barry Bonds level star? And how real is that? No, maybe not. But yeah, and, and the defense thing too. That was the one last thing. And, and I, and I want to let you sort of comment on all this. But I, I just want to throw it out there because we've been talking for almost an hour. And it's almost all been about his offense because I think anyone who watched him play and anyone who pitched against him knows he was one of the best hitters of his generation. He just really was. But I also think that most people who played in and around him know that he was one of the best defenders of his generation as well. And the three gold gloves probably sells him short by at least two at a time when Albert Pujols was getting gold gloves for being more famous. And, being, and better, would... being a better offensive player. Right. There, that was the way it went. Rafael Palmero won right. Uh, right. a gold glove at first base when I think he played 17 right. games at first base. That was it. He was he was predominantly a dh that year and yet he won and that lets you know where you know the players are with with voting for that and so now that's not the case yeah i think if you took a poll amongst people who played in major league baseball from 1999 to 2013 you know todd helton's career and you just said who's the best defensive first baseman of your time i think todd helton wins that actually fairly comfortably and so like if the guy was one of the best hitters i don't know one of the 10 best hitters of his era and one of the five best defenders at his position of his era, pretty much hands down. What are we doing? And one of the best road hitters of his era. That's another thing that you've pointed out, I think very, very importantly. So, but the defense thing, you know, the numbers don't hold up as well there. And that's one place where I could see 10 years from now, we get much better defensive metrics. And all of a sudden people are going, Oh man, Todd Helton was the best defensive for first baseman of an, an era. And we really didn't recognize it. And all those guys saying he was a vacuum cleaner over there and we had so much trust and we could do X, Y, Z. That wasn't just them feeling things. There's a way we can measure that now because to a, to a person, you ask them about Todd Helton's defense and it's glowing, glowing, glowing. And then you go to fan graphs and it's pulling down his war by about 10 points over the course of his career. And you're like, that doesn't quite track. Well, if people don't believe you, Drew, and who are you, right? Who who the <laughs> who, hell are who even you? Who the am hell am I? Who the hell? Don't fine. Don't believe us. You want to believe maybe Trevor Hoffman, who said, "quote When he comes to the plate, you want to see if there are some bases open, so that you can walk him." <laughs> Start looking around. Straight up. You don't believe him? How about Randy Johnson, who was a lefty and had the advantage of, you know, turning his helmet around, if you will, to use a. Uh, Larry Walkerism, okay, we'll go with right. that. Uh, big Unit says, "quote In my mind, Helton's on the very short list of the best hitters in the game." End quote. And it's for those reasons that I think voters are really starting to not gonna say go back to the drawing board, but just really reconsider it because I think I think it 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 takes you know 
people voicing their concerns or just communicating different pieces of information. I mean, think about all the work our, our buddy Manny Randawa did with the Blake Street Bombers and, and what he was able to do for Larry Walker. And, you know, we, we might we might need that again for for Todd Helton in, in some ways. And and even if you're just active on social media, just reach out there and 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 let these people know the importance of Todd Helton and, and the comparisons between other first basemen of his generation to go, wow, no, this guy was really amongst the best and and because that stuff makes a difference right now you know todd helton is is over the 50 percent mark and i think really gil hodges is the only relevant player that has ever gotten above 50 percent in voting that isn't in the hall of fame it's i think i think Schilling, clemens and bonds all also 50 percent or higher and they might get in and if they don't we know why um but even if you go back to uh the voting from last year he got above uh, he's at 29.2%, and any player that has ever in their second year of voting to get that many, they've all gotten in. So it's it, it's lining up, and we just can't stop so that at some point, like a guy like Gil Hodges, which it's inexplicable why, why he's still not in the Hall of Fame, where he got to the 50% point, and then his numbers just started to go down and can't can't take our foot off the gas. You got to keep going hard. Let these people know, and and it might be sooner than year ten, which is something that I, I, I don't know that I would have guessed would have happened I, if it wasn't I for Larry Walker have, finally getting I, it. And and it, and it wouldn't have because frankly, and I believe Todd Helton is a is a Hall of Famer. Is a, is actually kind of a, an easy no doubt Hall of Famer based on everything we've mm-hmm. run through here today. But I do think Larry Walker has the better case in many ways as the better all-around player. He contributed as a base runner. It's much easier to measure and understand his defense as this extreme contribution in right field as opposed to first base, which I feel like we're still kind of in our infancy of understanding how valuable the defense is there. Or maybe we're not. Maybe I'm just wrong about that. And it will continue to bear out that it doesn't matter that much. That could be the case. We'll find out. But if for me, yeah, like... The logic was, if it takes Walker to 10, Helton's not getting in because Walker's the better case, Walker's the better player. It will feel weird and counterintuitive when Helton gets in on ballot seven because he doesn't have a better case than Walker. But it's not about having the better case. It's about who understood the case when. That's back to what you were talking about, going out on social media sharing articles with people, sharing the data with people. When somebody says, I don't think Larry Walker, or so used to it, I don't think Todd Helton's a Hall of Famer, calmly and respectfully saying, well, what do you think of these statistics? You know, what you think he's a product of Coors Field? What about the fact that during his career, he was like the eighth best hitter on the road of anyone in baseball? Like, so... So how did he manage to do that? You know, that you don't even need to explain the hangover effect to get into stuff like that. Or, you know, some of these, that's why war and OPS plus is a good thing to understand those things, have them in the back of your pocket. So that when somebody says to you, yeah, Jeff Kent is a hall of famer. And none of these in, in no statistic, in no statistic, I'm going to say it a third time, Patrick, in no statistic, is Jeff Kent a better baseball player than Todd Helton? The traditional ones, the advanced metrics, he's got them beaten war and OPS plus and 
all of it. There just isn't one. And so, and I don't necessarily think that for me, Jeff Kent is borderline, you know, that's a, that's an interesting case. So if Jeff Kent is a hall of famer, Todd Helton's head and shoulders, easily comfortable dive deep into the pool, slam dunk it, hit the home run, touchdown pass, 92 yards to Jerry Judy. He's at the 10, he's at the five. Hall of Fame. And that makes sense to me because I, I think Jeff Kent is a Hall of Famer and not 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 a one of the greatest ones. And Jaws actually doesn't favor him very well, but I think having hit the most home runs as a second baseman provides some value. He does have an MVP under his belt. So I, I, I think he's a Hall of he's Famer. He's a legend in the club, Hall of Famer. He's a legend. Like, well, open the door for Jeff. Was, did Todd <laughs> Helton have the, the better career? I, I think so. I, I think so. Maybe not by a lot, but but I, I, I would definitely agree with that. And so, yeah, it's, again, looking at this from different angles is the best way to see it. And maybe not every angle shows that Todd Helton is a Hall of Famer. I think that's true for all Hall of Famers in some totally. way. Except that top 1%. You go, all right, let's recut it this way. Let's recut it that way. Damn it. Willie Mays is still up there. He's I know, right? Maybe right. He's going some of those be. guys, no matter how yeah. you cut it, right? No uh, matter what. And there's going to be some ways where, where – Mostly everybody else isn't there, but more times than not, if you if you if you cut it in, in these different ways and you look at it from these different angles and you really know all the other facts around and look at the other Hall of Famers who have gotten in uh, from that era or other errors and and really investigate what Jaws looks like. It's not just oh, just some guy. Again, this is one of the the leading baseball insiders who's written a book. Read it, the Cooperstown uh, case book and. He's got this metric, and it plays out really well. It's like, again, wins above replacement. Ah, what does that mean? Well, when you go and you do it, you go, well, look at all the guys that are at the top of that list. Hmm. Turns out it, it's pretty accurate. It does those a really are, good job. And it, and it points out the guys that you're not really appreciating as much, and you go, huh, I thought this guy was just okay. He's actually a lot better than that. Yeah. Same thing goes with Jaws. You go, all right, there's this metric. Who's at the top? Yep, this is pretty good because all those guys are there. And wow, look at Todd Helton. He was a lot better than I thought he was. We need to give him the respect he deserves and enshrine him in the Cooperstown Hall of Fame there. Yeah. It's like we were talking after one of the podcasts the other day. Some guys, they're Hall of Fame players. Did they have the Hall of Fame career? And you could maybe argue that a guy like Jeff Kent, because of postseason accomplishments or whatever, had like more of a Hall of Fame career than a Todd Helton. I think there's an argument to be made there. But was Todd Helton a Hall of Fame player? You damn right. You damn right. In the, I didn't it was a, in the immortal words of Drew Goodman. You're damn right he is. He's a great cheeseburger and he's a great ball player. <laughs> Hall of Fame burger, Hall of Fame player. Let's get it done. Love it. Love it. Well, let us know if there's anything we missed. If there's some other Todd Helton tidbit out there that we didn't get let us know your favorite moment. I, I do think mine is still the hands in the air for them going to the World Series, his elation at winning. I, I was shocked at him throwing the helmet after the Saito thing just because we'd never seen him behave that way. But there was there was also still so much work to be done. And I guess we know going into the World Series there was work to be done and <laughs> none of it got done. They didn't do any of that. Um, but just the the revelation on his face of, I'm going to play in the World Series for this team. I am going to take the Colorado Rockies 
to their first and still to this day only World Series. And I can't remember who who made the call, but the, the call was and, and the World Series will come to Denver, Colorado. And that the image that is paired with that is the man who only ever wore a Rockies uniform and did all of this stuff here. It's just you you can't beat it. it it's it's perfection. We gotta get Eric to make a shirt. Am I doing it? I just want the, I want a shirt of just of you doing that. Doing the Todd Helton. <laughs> Let's do my best. Look, if you're not here for the lives, you don't see me doing the Todd Helton. You don't see the poses. That's right. You missed Patrick's macho man. My Hogan. Hulk Hogan. Oh, Hogan. Sorry. Oh, I know, but you yeah, I know. You're always okay. doing I know. You were dressed as Hogan, but you're you're just such a macho man guy. I'm so used to <laughs> I just it. look like Macho Man. I know. You just you look more yeah, I was gonna say you've got more of the macho man. Yeah, more of the macho. Of course it was the it was the Hogan with the headband. Red and yellow. They, they it doesn't help that they both also had the same colors there for a little while. I'm glad we could wait Mega till an hour three into this. Yeah. Yeah, I think people are gonna start to think, wait, are we talking about Helton in the WWE Hall of Fame? Or, yeah, at some point everybody gets the the WWE Hall of Fame. If you've even had an oh, intercontinental title <laughs> match, championship match, you in there. you're probably going to get thrown in a little bit. Will. Although I will say, I I got teary eyed at the Jake the Snake footage when they showed in Relentless that he was getting into the hall. Yeah, that, that never gets old. <laughs> DDT. I that was my move on the playground. I I, I used to be a scrapper when I was. When I was young, I, I gave it up pretty quickly. But I remember a kid who was probably twice my size, DDT. I think I tried to do the pile driver. It didn't work quite as well. But <laughs> everyone's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I know this works. Trust me. Trust me. Someone grabbed my bag. Famous it's got a words. snake in it. And they're like, what? Um, uh. yeah. I was very popular in school. Believe it or not, yeah. <laughs> based off that story. <laughs> uh, on that note, get Todd Helton and to both the MLB and WWE Hall of Fame. We got to get them to show up in WWE first. That would be great. Uh, and thanks for hanging out with us. Like I said, let us know if there's anything about Helton that we missed that you wanted to let us know. We'll be sure to make note of it in the future. You can always hit us up on social media at Patrick D. Lyons, at Drew Creaseman, at DNVR underscore Rockies. You can give a subscribe to the DNVR.com so you don't miss out on any of that written content. Plus you get discounts on hats, shirts, masks. You get a bigger beer when you come down to the DNVR bar, which is now open at limited capacity for watch parties. So make sure you RSVP early. You come down to a nice, safe, socially distanced atmosphere. You drink a little Breck brew, enjoy some abs or nuggets games, and enjoy all of the content that you get at the DNVR.com. We'll continue Hall of Fame week actually through into next week we've still got more stuff including sharing our own ballots with you who we would vote for if we had our votes right now on this current hall of fame ballot of course we'll be talking about who eventually will get in this year all of that stuff and more current events around your colorado rockies especially if they you know do something. Do something. <laughs> so thank you all for continuing to be absolutely awesome out there. I promise you, we will continue to be absolutely Patrick Lyons, Drew Creaseman, and Todd Helton bobblehead in here. And until next time, we will see you at the ballpark.